the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second half of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics is uh, our uh, roundtable regulars. Our panel of political pundits includes, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatt. <coughs> Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. And joining us for this week's edition, the author of Preacher Raises the Dead and uh, and other fine literature is uh, Gerald Everett Jones. Gerald, welcome. Thank you. If you're from from the People's Republic of Santa Monica. <laughs> I, you know, I've been to Santa Monica, and that's not far from the truth, Gerald. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you know that, that's a standing joke here. And you know, we had it. You know, we used to have you know Jane Fonda and Tom Hayden on the city council, and, and uh, the, the Santa Monica City Council. It's interesting, you know. I I was very much involved with the Santa Monica City Council, especially my wife had a grassroots. Uh, organization called Unleash the Beach, and it had to do with uh, a, a grassroots movement to put a leash-free dog zone on Santa Monica Beach, and that's regulated by the state. It's very complicated, but the thing that's interesting about it is that we live in Ocean Park, which is the southern part of Santa Monica. It used to be like where the household help lived, but now you know we're all gentrified, and there are more dogs than children. <laughs> and it wasn't so long ago when Georgia was doing Unleash the Beach that uh, Bobby Shriver was running for the Santa Monica City Council. And it was interesting because Georgia mustered about 3,000 votes for him. And <laughs> she gave she gave him an award um, uh, you know, that was, you know, the picture ran in the paper, so, you know, uh, dog support or whatever it was. And he, he was always, anytime, anytime he saw her, he was like, yeah, Georgia. And we went to a, and he, he got elected. And then, of course, his sister, Maria, was married to Schwarzenegger, who had gotten in from the recall of Gray Davis. That's a longer story. But, um, Schwarzenegger made uh, Bobby Shriver uh, chairman of the Parks and, Recre Parks and Recreations Commission. And at the state level, the ultimate fate of the dog beach had a lot to do with state policy. And so George and I went to pitch. 
We got three minutes each with the other citizens to pitch the State Parks and Recs Commission. And as we were going into the building, Bobby caught George's eye in the parking lot, and he walked all the way across the parking lot to to give her a hug. And I said to Georgia, do you realize what that is? And she said, what do you mean? He he likes me. And I said, that is political capital. <laughs> he thinks he's going to see you in Sacramento someday. Well, you know, just before we uh, wrapped up the first half of Armchair Politics this morning, um, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about the divisions within the, uh, within the parties, and in particular in the uh, uh, Michigan GOP and, and the race for uh, attorney general. And uh, Tom Leonard and Matt DiPerno are, are really kind of um, significant in that split. And uh, Donald Trump has endorsed Matt DiPerno, Tom Leonard was the candidate who lost fairly narrowly that seat four years ago um, and is a a former um, state house speaker. And what I I was going to ask was, um, is this a sneak peek at Michigan's GOP primary and the Donald Trump effect? Yes, uh, that's what we're all looking at. That's what most people are looking at. Yeah, I think that's true. test whether Trump is dominant, and he owns the party or not. And I've I've said many times that nobody owns the party. Uh, The party doesn't own it. And I wanted to echo echo something Gerald was talking about uh, with regard to the the splits within these uh, within these various parties and quote one of my favorite TV shows once again on this show <laughs> from West Wing um, a uh, Republican presidential candidate was uh, fighting with party leadership over um, his uh, soft stance on uh, anti-Roe v. Wade positioning and he was talking about how difficult it was to get all of the people in the party behind him. He said, if we were in Europe, the Republican Party would be five parties. That's right. <laughs> and it was well, just, you know, it, it just, it, it's tied so well to the conversation we're having. You yeah, know, in, I, in one sense, though, I, I used to argue in class that in one sense, we don't have a two-party system. We have a 50-party system or maybe a 100-party system because you've got Basically, a different, you know, different Democratic or Republican party for every state. They come together briefly to elect a president or work for a president, but near every other election we have is on a state and local level. So, in many ways, we've got a very fractionalized party system with 50 different Republican and 50 different Democratic parties. You know, I, I I'd like to say this, Tom, real quickly. Uh, the idea of uh, politics going into schools is not a good idea. Schools are charged with um, teaching and learning and safety of children. They're not, <clears throat> they're not there to carry on the political views of the world. Although that I, distracts I, them from being, becoming truly cultivated in the arts, the sciences, the math, and all of that. That's their job. And having parents go out and say, well, we're going to do something for kids. <clears throat> we're going to go out and get involved in all of these other issues that kids don't care about. 
you know, and things like that. And that's well, a me, bad idea. Let me just add it, to what you're what you're saying, Henry, because um, I think that uh, uh, politics should be taught in schools, but as it relates to process, not policy. Yeah. Yeah. But then we we're on the same track. Yeah, I, I think we are. I just I just wanted to add that clarification a little bit, um, because I, yeah. I learned some truth. But even the process isn't being taught much anymore. No, it isn't, that and it a, should be. Yeah, when yeah. I was in high school in Maryland, there was a mandatory course for graduation from high school, but it was a course for seniors, and it was called Problems of Democracy, and you know. It was such a good idea. I mean, at least you know you at least you had a basic education in what was in the Constitution. <laughs> you know, and we were debating and talking just a minute ago about uh, where where to draw the line. Well, in the Constitution, the big caveat in the First Amendment is advocating, not not doing. Advocating the violent overthrow of the government is a federal crime. Period. There's a, a a funny event that I had happen when I was in high school in a civics class where the teacher had uh, dug up or saved over the years some ballots from previous elections, um, un, unused, obviously. Um, and <laughs> one of the ballots he was passing around the class so we could see what they looked like and how they were laid out. Um had my dad's name on it. Oh, <laughs> it was, oh my! He was oh. Ru- he was running for a state house seat in 1948, and he was on this particular ballot. Oh, that's interesting. And it was it was just kind of a, a a fun kick for me, and 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 actually made it a little more real, I think, in some ways. But um, Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer is suing. 13 county prosecutors in Michigan with the goal of getting an old abortion ban pulled off the books and making abortion a constitutional right in the state. Whitmer's team is filing the 27-page lawsuit in Oakland County Circuit Court um, on uh, Thursday, I, I guess last Thursday. Yeah, last Thursday. And... Um, Abortion is uh, legal in Michigan right now, but only because of the 1973 Roe v. Wade uh, U.S. Supreme Court decision, which legalized abortion nationwide. That ruling has the potential to be overturned or undercut, however, as the court considers Dobbs v. Jackson, with six of the nine U.S. Supreme Court justices holding a conservative majority, Roe v. Wade is expected by many to eventually be struck down. If it is overturned, Michigan's 1931 abortion ban could be enforceable. The law criminalizes abortion for anybody administering the procedure or drug to produce a miscarriage, making it a felony in all cases, except when medically necessary to save a mother's life. Can the governor decriminalize abortion in Michigan prior to a potential SCOTUS uh, reversal of Roe v. Wade? It doesn't seem problematic, but... Well, legally she probably could, but politically it's going to be tough. I mean, um... 
Yeah, that's the distinction legal, legally versus practically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if any of that uh, violates uh, federal law, it's uh, it's, uh, it's a nine. Well, the real issue is, is will, will the Supreme Court take it? I mean, it, it, she's got yeah. a slight Democratic edge, but there's no guarantee that even how the Democrats would vote on that. And yeah. if they don't even have to take the case at all, I think if nothing else, I mean, in one one sense, it makes uh, makes it clear she's taking action on the abortion issue. If Supreme Court rules against Roe Wade, but on the other hand, as I say, it's, I think it's a long shot that the court's going to take it. And if they take it, will she win? Again, that too, I think, is a long shot as well. Um, but I think politically, during an election year, it's well, probably, would it, probably a smart move from her point of view. Would it have to go to the uh, the U.S. Supreme Court to um, to be finally resolved, or could it be finally resolved at the state Supreme Court level? It, it, well, my understanding is it could be state, because th- the idea is that if Roe Wade's overturned, it just throws the whole issue back to every state. Yeah. And again, I think Whitmer's pitch is that under the state constitution, she would like to declare that 31 law unconstitutional if the court rules that way. Well, yeah, if, she wins, state, if she wins in the state, uh, there will still be challenges in the Supreme Court. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. And like challenges. I say, there's a four to three advantage for Democrats, but it's it's a slight advantage and there's there's no guarantees there. We've got about two minutes before the next break, and then we're going to get into some uh, national headlines. But I, uh, I wanted to bring up this one question, and I won't do the whole setup, but it has to do with the uh, um, redrawing of districts and elections that are being held this year and some of the districts uh, being changed um, because uh, communities across Michigan will be holding elections on May 3rd for some... Uh, vacant seats and what I'm what I'm wondering is if the new districts um, are the new districts adding confusion to candidates for vacant seats that will have to run campaigns in May August and November mm-hmm. yeah now in the May my understanding is that the May election they're running in the current districts but come August and November they're in the new districts. Is that correct? I think so. That's my understanding. I believe so. Yeah, I, I can see it being very confusing if you're a candidate for a, there's a couple state house races and you've got to run in the old district in May, and then just a few months later, you've got a new district to play with and a whole new batch of voters. Not to mention That's the logistics be... of having to run in three races. That's it. They had that too. Yeah, <laughs> within six months, you're running in three different elections. Precisely. Yeah. Didn't that happen to uh, Sheldon Neely's wife, Cynthia Neely? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, because she ran. Uh, Although the district didn't that. change. That's right, but it was a special election in her case. Um, try and think. Was it? Trying to think who 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 moved up to open that seat up for her right now. Um, it was yeah, Sheldon. Right. I don't know. It was Sheldon. He got elected mayor. That's right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. That's <laughs> why. Could, yeah, true. That's anyway, right. yeah, we uh, we've got to take uh, a uh, 
we got to take a short break here, but we'll be back with some national headlines straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back. We continue our uh, weekly roundtable known as Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Gerard Everett Jones. Um, to, uh, yesterday morning's uh, Brooklyn subway shooting, which left 10 commuters with uh, gunshot wounds, is the latest entry in America's shameful tradition of gun violence. It's hard not to view this incident as yet another result of America's polarized gun debate. Many Americans hold their right to bear arms enshrined in the U.S. Constitution as sacrosanct. But critics of the Second Amendment say that right threatens another, the right to life. Each shooting seems to entrench everyone's respective convictions. Aside from registration for so-called ghost guns, is anything likely to result from the debate that's likely to heat up following this latest event? I, I, I think both Democrats and Republicans are taking a second look at that. And I think that people are um, the American people, not the politician or the elitist, but the American people are probably tired of it. Um, we need uh, all of us subject to yeah, I, uh, being killed. Just uh, driving down the road, there's n- nothing to prohibit someone from coming in and shooting in your car and killing you or your passenger. Hey, Gerald, I, I called you Gerard, and I apologize for that. But <laughs> go ahead and jump in. No such thing as bad publicity, Tom. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Tom, I remain kind of cynical about whether you'll see any significant change. We had so many shootings. I mean, it's almost every other day there's something, and there's a little talk for a while about maybe a new law to get rid of bump stocks or some other detail about guns, but in the, the big picture, the, the number of guns keeps multiplying. we got more guns than people in this country by a pretty good margin. But I, I remain cynical it's going to change very much, unfortunately. So, I, I think so, there'll be a little talk about it, but I don't know. But but the, the future of the nation is also determined about how we react to this. Do we remain a democracy, or do we go more toward our authoritative-type government? Well, we're so far down the road with gun culture and things. You know, out here in in Hollywood, one of the things that's really remarkable is, you know, you go, you, you pass a billboard, a billboard for a comedy movie, and the lead character has got an automatic pistol. I... Yeah, <laughs> and 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 it's like I, I'm a member of the Writers Guild. I I don't have a very um, loud voice, but you know I really do feel as though uh, guns are used to resolve plots in in True. Uh, on on TV and movies far more. I mean, I I judged a uh, uh, a, a, a film short film contest for. Um, they were actually private school kids. They weren't ghetto kids in in Manhattan. There was a class of about twenty, and they all submitted two minute films. And I I watched, <laughs> I watched them until you know I was nodding off, 
And I would say of the films that I watched, I think there were only two or three that didn't resolve the plot with a gun or a sword or a, or a you know, martial mm. arts battle. And so it's not like these are underprivileged, rebellious. This, this, is, this is just simply the culture is rather than, again, I'm coming back to my mantra about debate. You know, Aristotle said conflict is drama. Okay, well, you know, in <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to make it dra dramatic. You got to have a story. But an argument, you know, I, it, it's actually one thing in screenwriting one hundred and one. If you want to have an interesting scene and it's just people talking to each other, make it an argument. <laughs> well, argument's fine because argument can devolve into debate, and then that can devolve into you know thoughtful proposals and and negotiation. But you know. We're not at a point where we're having negotiation with anything. Hey, Gerald, does the uh, Writers Guild still have the, the theater? It never did. That's the Dramatists Guild of, uh, of America, and I, I'm a member of that too, although I, it's been 20 years since I wrote a play. Where, where, um, I was thinking for showing films, because um, I've... I, I, used to go to oh, for, for, for movie houses yeah well that would be the motion that would be the mpaa that would be the, the the distributors that would be uh and and then there what you know there used to be a, a federal law that said that movie studios couldn't own theaters and uh all that is you know i thought um I, I lived briefly in Los Angeles and had a friend who lived in Santa Monica who was a member of the Writers Guild and took me to several films at what I thought was the Writers Guild private theater. Yes, it's on Doheny Boulevard and it's a very lovely, I think, 400-seat theater and a, a benefit of membership is you can go and attend often pre-release versions of films uh and of course during award season that gets to be you know really important but you know as far as the the consent decree and and uh, studios owning theaters now it's moot because all the studios now own their streaming services and and this is one of the things that's kind of frustrating about being a consumer a television consumer is i i not only have a direct TV subscription, but I have to have all these other a la carte descriptions for the, you know, I, only reason I've got Showtime is that I, I used to want want to watch Homeland all the time, you know, because I'm a politi political nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but but now you know now it's billions, okay, and, and but it's like one show, <laughs> it's a, you know, that's the reason I have the subscription to the channel. So I, I, I'm hoping I have, this will all shake out. But I, I, I have know. about three of those. <laughs> right. Well, I, I've got more. You could say you could say that you know it's it's part of my job, but uh, I have more. But I'm thinking of three that I that I signed up for just because of a particular show. Yeah. Oh, and that's the hook. That's the hook. And nobody wants to uh, really consolidate it. I mean, actually, Amazon has done. Uh, you can, as Amazon does, you know, very oligarchic in their movements um you know you can go to amazon and you can search for something and you find oh that's on hulu would you like a hulu subscription <laughs> you know, jeff bezos will sell it <laughs> yeah it's it's um 
it's pretty amazing. It, but it, and and of course the pandemic, I think, has really energized. Oh, that. I, uh, you That's know, encouraged we're, all of that. Yes, that could be a top, a huge topic for another show, Tom. But I mean, yeah. the idea of, you know, uh, getting everybody. Uh, used to uh, zoom meetings i mean you know we're not on zoom now but we're i'm on skype uh it it is so much more the norm and in the workplace you have workers who really don't want to go back into their offices you know why why spend that out here it's six dollars a gallon gas you know to commute frustratingly on the 405 freeway at bumper to bumper um you know, when we can, when, when, you know, we can be in our bathrooms or whatever. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, and mind the kids at the same, you know, we've got child, important topic. We've got child care as a, as a growing uh, concern and becoming so much more expensive. And yet we need our caregivers and, or we, we have, uh, people at home that need need caregiving, and so we've got dual roles. We've got full time employment, and we've got those responsibilities. So yeah, society really is shifting because of COVID, and it's really profound. I, and I, you know, when I want when I put on my optimistic hat, sometimes I think, well, yeah, uh, so much opportunity for the internet to be abused and. You know, we send each other the equivalent of picture postcards, you know, a dozen times a day. But actually, didn't we invent worldwide consciousness at a time when we have threats to the species that require worldwide action? And it might take a generation or two, but hope, that's one hope, I think, that we can we can hold is that as as a species we tend to invent the things that we need and you know well it's travel. i i'm i'm going to use this uh, opportunity while we're talking a little bit about the impact of uh, the pandemic i'm going to talk about having done my show from home for the last couple of years i i started that pre-pandemic only slightly pre-pandemic but I had planned to do it for a while, but it's gone on longer than I meant to do it, and I miss having live music in the studio and having these round tables in person and, and some of those things, you know, when I had a studio away from my home. And next Wednesday, um, I am celebrating um, 14 years of doing this show. We're going to launch the 15th year at a special event at the White Horse on Court Street uh, near downtown Flint. And I'm inviting listeners and guests and uh, donors and so on, you know, to, to come. And what I'm hoping is that I will be announcing some changes where I can get out and about more. We've, we've done this show on the road many times, and I'm thinking about trying to, to get out of the bunker so to speak and so we're going to be talking about that and eating pizza and and having some fun and celebrating uh hopefully what i think will be a re-energizing of the show uh starting at the end of next week we'll have our regular show you know from nine to noon in the morning but at 4 p.m we're going to gather at the uh at the white horse and 
raise a couple of bucks, and I got some new merch coming in. A couple gonna, of glasses. Yeah, we're gonna. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. It sounds and like a great party, Tom. It it should be it should be a, a lot of fun. And uh, um, Pamela, uh, Tom, Gerard. before you leave before you leave the subject, I would like to go back and respond to Gerald's uh, point. Yeah, of, go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Henry. We, we, and how that we has changed right the lifestyle that we live. And it's true. There are circumstances where you have to do this, but it has been found out by educators that kids are the losers because kids need to be regimented in the classroom because that's where challenge occurs and that's where kids learn the best, uh, most kids. There are exceptions, of course, because kids also need to learn that socialization. Right now, educators are looking at how kids are returning back to the classroom and the things that are lost from their behaviors. They, they argue a lot with each other. There's a lot less socialization. And they, don't, they have not uh, grasped the idea that you need to be regimented in a classroom setting where there is, uh, you don't all talk at the same time or you don't cluster yourself into groups or you simply don't pay attention. And this is what educators, and nobody knows how to teach a child but an educator. Uh, they have conditioned themselves for the, uh, for the culture of teaching, uh, for the credentials that they need to uh, impart uh, lessons to teachers in math and science engineering and, and uh, history and so on. But other people don't have that. And uh, so this is what... And many people predict that this crop of school kids in the last two years will be, high, be behind other graduating classes in knowledge and abilities and in socialization. So I just wanted to leave that with you. You're right that those are times that we need to react to a conditions that's beyond our control, like working at home, that works. But the kids need to be back in the classroom. But the pandemic has changed us in ways we really can't yes. hadn't imagined two years ago. It really yes. has. Uh, it's, it's, it may leave some some long, very long lasting changes in our society. And with a combination of technology, I mean, you know, <clears throat> Henry, going back to your point, you know, I I have a, a dear friend who taught uh, public school in uh, uh, in the Bronx, and she said that. Uh, she could not keep the phones out of the hands of the kids because there was these um, parental concerns about well what if what if there's an emergency at school I need to be able to reach out to them and at mm. least be able to let let them send a text and so you know we've got heads buried in the screens and then again you know I've heard conversations with like science scientists and artificial intelligence are saying this is just the first generation you know elon musk wants to put a chip in your head so that you can be part computer part human this is the first step everybody try to take the cell phone away from anybody a chip in my here. head oh. i just got used You're to so the, right i just got used to the chip on my shoulder <laughs> <laughs> right and we wouldn't want to take it from mr musk or from you know from you know, Mr. Gates with an injection, but yeah, uh, no. The idea is, you know, a multiplier. I mean, certainly our computers are multipliers, 
of our intelligence and our power and our capability. And that is, on balance, a good thing. But, you know, there was another mentor of mine who was talking about, again, futurist stuff. And they were saying that, you know, contract negotiation is so complex and so technical. In the future, it will be done between computers. And then when you get down to the last of it, then the parties will agree. And the reason for the first, for the for the meeting, and this will go back to Henry's point, the reason for the only meeting will be ceremonial. Mm. It will be the clasping of hands. It will be the unification of our side and your side. And, you know, it, it, it strikes of, you know, kind of a Japanese, <laughs> you know, in robes <laughs> with a ritual, you know, here's, <laughs> here, you know, here's, here's, uh, uh, you know the, the 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 governor meeting with the, the new senator. Um, you know we, we can finally celebrate the results of the last computer face-off. Well, let me squeeze a couple more things in here before uh, before the next break comes up. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has raised more than a hundred million dollars for his re-election effort the first gubernatorial candidate in the Sunshine State and perhaps the entire country to reach the nine-figure milestone solely through donations. The staggering sum not only gives DeSantis an unprecedented leg up on the Democrats attempting to unseat him this November, it also sends an indisputable message to the potential field of 2024 Republican presidential hopefuls that there is already a promising contender with deep support from major donors and grassroots voters alike. Is DeSantis the next Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's certainly been portrayed that way by a lot of sources, and those those, those dollar amounts suggest He's that... He's got a lot of muscle. The possibility, yeah. And his policies do seem to be echoing... Yeah, you know, his policies that, are very that, 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 not... that, that faction, if you will. You wonder, you wonder though, uh, if Mr. Trump's fortunes were happen happened to go the other way. I mean, we've got the whole legal system that's processing these various um, these various right. charges, actions, and allegations. If it becomes, if he becomes a hot potato politically. I wonder how fast it would take Hawley and Cruz and DeSantis to kind of do a 180 and, uh, uh, you know, start acting. I, you know, I suppose wake up one yeah. wake up one morning and suddenly they all think Mitt Romney is a great guy. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that would be that would be a sea change. And you know, in American politics, it's possible. Or so. if they would yeah. try to enter as leadership for that faction that has followed Trump? It's an well, question. they might, might, might come across as insurgents in some way, but... Uh, what, I, what I see uh, evolving, guys, is dictatorship. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I, I said on this show that Americans will not ever accept a weakling as a presidential candidate. And you have uh, indications on both sides of the aisle. 
And we need to make sure that we don't just trip ourselves into some kind of fascist type of government. Um, and that's close by. And that's why I think two terms for the president is enough. And, uh, and there are indications of people who lean that way. Take a look at Putin and some of the other people and notice the yeah, similarity yeah. in behaviors. Well, it's a worldwide it's a worldwide pattern these days where authoritarianism is gaining the edge uh, because of what we talked about earlier, the inefficiencies of government. People get frustrated and they see dictatorship as a, as an easy alternative. Yeah, impatience, and then it's, also we yeah. see it we see it in the justice system in the in the criminal justice system is that you know American jurisprudence is deliberative. It is designed to be thorough. It is designed to take time for discovery of evidence from both sides and even postponements when some critical witness can't be there, uh, you know, bending over backwards the fair trial. But I mean, you know, if you're talking about authoritarian government, you know, you, you, you see a guy do a shooting on the subway and, you know, if you grab him and you put him up against the wall the next day in the firing squad. Now, mm -hmm. is, is that is, and, and again, coming back to the point of <laughs> if our temptation is to label this guy crazy. Law and, and order of the actually, Philippines. We actually, actually don't need a mental <laughs> health system. We don't need, I mean, rehabilitation <laughs> isn't possible. Uh, yeah, that's we, what you're saying. We'll never understand somebody who's psychotic. Well, you know, yes, there are medical professionals who do attempt to understand, you know, what, perhaps the chemical imbalances in the brain combined with you know behavioral influences whatever this is not as an excuse but we need to understand why this stuff happens why does somebody shoot up a sandy hook okay and you know a kid locked up in his room uh like henry says no social skills uh uh, uh, living in a fantasy world and and feeling abused or what i mean we whether that was a story or not, at some level we need to understand that and, and spend the resources that it takes to get to the bottom of it, to understand how we function as a society. Let me see. I don't know if I can get this in because we just have a little over a minute left until the uh, break. But two days after the 2020 presidential election, his votes were still being tallied. Donald Trump's eldest son texted then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows that we have operational control to ensure his father would get a second term with Republican majorities in the U.S. Senate and swing state legislatures. Does this uh, new information cast a different light on election rigging and who's rigging whom? Uh, it certainly suggests that, yeah. I mean, it's only one quote, obviously, but again, it, it suggests that there were the, the plans were in the pipeline to begin with. Well, you know, the people who lean toward yeah. authoritarianism will say, you know, as long as as long as the the righteous guy gets in, we don't care how he gets in. And I think that's really <laughs> the lesson of January the 6th, is that, you know, I mean, if you're talking about the the other side, if you're talking about the even the progressive wing of the Democrats who feared uh, the uh, Trumpian dictatorship, if you were to tell them, you know, actually... 
Uh, hey, I got to stop computer, you there. The computer systems might have been hacked in the Biden election. Hey, we got to. Uh, they, 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 they would. They would. They would. They would say fine. We got to take a short break. We'll be right back. Right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Whiplet Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. It'd be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, where we uh, take a look at those weird and wacky stories I like to call the X-Files. A Massachusetts man says he has the answer for those singing the blues about uh, stratospheric gas prices. Rick Madera of Fall River has taken to riding his electric unicycle to work saving on gas and cutting his commute time in the process. It's just more convenient and it's obviously more fun, he told the Herald News. Madera's Gatway Nicola Plus with no seat or handlebars, just places for his feet can go 70 or 80 miles on one charge and reaches speeds of up to 40 miles per hour, although he rarely goes that fast. It literally takes me four minutes to get to work versus about eight minutes in a vehicle, he said. He's allowed to ride on the sidewalk but usually sticks to the road, keeping to the shoulder when possible. He can also move to the front of the line at red lights, like cyclists, he said. Does this sound like a mail-order vehicle for Wiley Coyote? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I think so. But it um, may be the it may be the thing of the future because of you know gasoline prices and all of that. Better have a good helmet. Yes. Yeah, and and watch the weather too, depending on what yeah. is going on outside. <laughs> But as long as he Some can black keep ice will do it, yeah. Yeah, he's got to make sure that he um, learns good safety techniques. And I remember what it was like driving class. in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's a uh, <laughs> an especially uh, weird one that got my attention. Mike Tyson is unable to sell a new line of cannabis gummies in the state of Colorado in their current <laughs> form. The former boxing mm. champ's new edibles are shaped like ears with a bite out of them. <laughs> a, refer- a reference. <laughs> You're ob- kidding. Obviously, a reference to that time in 1997 when Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear during the WBA Heavyweight Championship. Tyson's cannabis company, Tyson 2.0, can't sell the ear-shaped edibles in Colorado because state law prohibits marijuana edibles from being shaped like humans, 
animals, fruit, or other images that could attract children. Tyson 2.0 still plans to sell the edibles, but will modify their shape from a bitten ear to the letter T before they debut in the Centennial (laughs) State later this year. Tyson has been in the pot business since 2016 and reportedly earns more than $653,000 per month from it, according to Marka.com. Why do Colorado lawmakers think that kids, or anyone for that matter, would be attracted to gummies shaped like a human ear with a bite on it? <laughs> it's beyond me, yeah. I, I saw the ad for that, or at least discussion of that kind of thing with Mike Tyson's ear business. I don't know. <laughs> That's one of the weirdest ones I think I've, uh, that is, that I've, is. I've seen in a while. Um Let's see. You wonder where the inspiration came from for that legal initiative or legislative initiative. Well, somebody probably tried to make Flintstones gummy pop pot. Probably, yeah. I can. I mean, I can see the the motivation for it. It's, yeah, they probably had afraid the kids would either accidentally or on purpose pick those up. Well, but all you have to do is make it, you know, color and. I mean, it looked like candy. I mean, it's not going to discourage a kid from. That's that's true. That's true. You know, and 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 that's certainly true in the uh, pharmaceutical. You know, that's the reason for the safety caps, uh, the those aggravating safety caps on pill bottles. Right. Yeah. Is the, is to keep a kid from getting at 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 stuff that you know they think might be a sugar pill or candy, something like that. But they're the only ones who can get the things open. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right. That's the old joke. Yeah. <laughs> with my arthritis. I think my arthritis so I can't get the top off. Yeah, you want to try and get into something childproof, find a child. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, well, that could be true of hackers in separate discussion, but. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, that wraps it up for uh, armchair politics uh, and, and uh, the X-Files on armchair politics. Sometimes hard to tell the uh, armchair politics stories from the regular headlines, but um, uh, always fun. And I, I, we've got a few minutes left before we wrap up today, so we have some time for, for some, uh, some final comments. Um, Gerald, any thoughts you want to uh- share? Well, my dad said, uh, make all your mistakes in a loud, clear voice. So I, I just ask for your forgiveness. Yeah, you know, when I was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm playing a, a gig tomorrow night at the Hitchin Post. I'm playing drums with the, with the Whiskey Brothers. But when I used to play full time, I remember having a conversation with a, a fellow musician. And we were talking about performance level. And I said, you know, if you make a mistake... Do it again, and people will think you're playing jazz. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's the same thought. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Well, I, kind of I'd like Go to ahead, thank uh, Gerald for his great commentary. I learned a lot. Learned a lot about A lot of good insights, Gerald, yes. Yes, and, uh, oh, thanks, and a lot guys, of things that will do us well. Flattery will, will get you everywhere, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Really appreciate having you here. Well, thank you again. And and to my roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, it's it's just 
such an honor to me that you guys are willing to take part in this every week. It, it really makes the show. Thank you. And it looks like Cliff Lynn politics is more and more like the X-Files every every week, especially this past week with the, you know, I had the city a, council and the county. I, I kind of skipped over one, um, not that was local, although I did skip over a local one, <laughs> um, but uh, the lieutenant governor in uh, New York resigned over the weekend. Oh, um, I, I, I had missed that story. Yeah, after being arrested and indicted on charges in connection with his alleged participation in a scheme to obtain campaign contributions in exchange for securing a state grant. (laughs) (laughs) And, and of course, the the question after setting it all up was, how is Governor Hochul's... uh, tenure going <laughs> because <laughs> right she was the one that Jeez. that you know had to take over for uh governor cuomo, cuomo and she appointed the lieutenant governor and now he's being bounced because Jeez. of uh criminal activity um so it isn't just michigan it isn't just flint and genesee county but we're pretty good at it. <laughs> well, oh, it, yeah, we're, it just stuff. we're pretty good at it. It just shows that we're all guilty of something. Yeah. We cannot get out of this world. Well, seriously, Michigan so. law uh, is often a model for laws in other states. So, I mean, you guys, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot good going on there. There's, yeah. you know, for as much as we make fun of some of the uh, the local and regional antics, um, there is a lot good about Michigan. True. True. I, I, I don't want it to sound like, you know, we're picking out. Yeah, I think Michigan was one of the first states to uh, Uniform Child Custody Act, which goes back to, you know, uh, really uh, helped with... Uh, stabilizing, you know, divorce proceedings. Well, hey, we've got to wrap it up, but uh, I want to invite everybody to tune in tomorrow for that special on the Flint water crisis. And also, um, I have a couple of specials coming up on Friday for Good Friday and, uh, and for the uh, start of uh, Passover. And um, on Monday, I have a uh, show uh, tied to Easter in, in a way, and, and uh, of course, Easter will be Sunday, but Monday it's celebrated in Canada, for whatever that's worth. And next Wednesday, of course, we have the big party at the White Horse, and I hope everyone will uh, come yeah. down, have a piece of pizza, and yeah. share some thoughts about what you've liked about the show and what you'd like to see us do <laughs> going forward, because we're, we're going to do some show different up things. Then. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> All right. Well, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the uh, living room. But thanks, everybody, uh, for tuning in. And thanks to the uh, roundtable pundits. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Have a good evening. Good evening. Carry on and fear not. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.